Hello and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. My name is Dan Taylor. My name is John Micton. Join us twice a month at the International Schools Podcast as we have conversations with international school leaders, educators, and entrepreneurs working and engaging in the world of international schools and education. And finally, just to say a huge thank you to our sponsor, Asa for Education, for making this podcast happen. Now on to the episode. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm here as always with John Micton, the co-host. John, how are you doing? Very good, Dan. Thank you. Yeah. Nice it's... to be here and looking forward to talking to our guests. It's been a while. Yeah, it's good we could chat. This, I mean, I messed up on the time, but the the end, the good result of that was that you could join in the end. So um Yeah, I would appreciate that. It's good to have you here. John, you're in, in Geneva still? Yeah, everything's well. Yeah, we got a lot of feedback from our GPT chat uh, conversation. Yeah, I think people really resonated with a lot of people. And that was nice to see that uh, the voices of Greg Warren and Wolfgang were really well received. And I think it's the buzz. Everybody's talking about it. It's like, who else is not having a panel discussion on chat GPT? It's actually so just, it's actually a bit ridiculous. It's actually a bit ridiculous at this point. You know, that's why I knew we had to get in early because it was going to be a tsunami of, of chat GPT. Yeah. <laughs> discussions. Yeah, I think it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's getting a lot of people thinking. And I think a lot of people feel that something very new tech where there's a lot of new frontiers. So a lot of people are positioning themselves and learning and, and trying to understand the beast and then sharing it out. And I must say the resources being shared are just phenomenal. There's so many yeah. groups and articles. It's yeah, it's, it's kind of, a, you know, as some people saying, it's the dawning of a new age. And Chat GPT four is coming out soon, I believe. I don't know what what's the timing on that, but I think it's the yeah. new version. And Google's coming out with their version, and uh, yeah, everybody has decided they need to have one. I was just at Google last week in London, and um, you know, just on the grapevine year, like it's just crisis mode at Google. Like it doesn't, no one in the education team is affected, but everyone, like there's whole team people, whole teams of people being pulled off different projects and put onto AI, you know, because they realized they got caught a bit flat footed and, you know, there's a potential to lose a huge amount of their search business, which, which is Google's business, the advertising business. So I think yeah. Google's really yeah. um, in crisis mode about it. It's interesting because Microsoft for years has been kind of, you know, been in the background, but I think on this one, they played it right. You know, what, $10 billion in, invested in open AI. Yeah, that's uh, true. That's, that's, that was a, whoever made that decision is smiling. Definitely. Well, we should introduce our, our guest, uh, Jeff Utech. Who's Utech, actually uh, in that area where Microsoft is. So that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well. Before we go too much further, Jeff, Jeff, um, second time on the podcast. I wasn't there the first time, but how, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. And uh, like hearing your conversation, like everybody else, uh, chat GPT is, I think, on every educator's mind everywhere as we try to figure out what the heck we're supposed to do with this thing. So, yep. And uh, Jeff, um, international school educator and consultant um we're not going to talk about that though today and we've got a whole other episode so we'll john we'll put a link to the previous show with uh jeff when we, we talked about his background but but jeff do you want to just give us a quick overview of, of, of your background and then um we'll get into today's topic which is real estate something i know we're both interested in yeah uh yeah so just a quick overview i was overseas with my wife uh, for 10 years she is a school counselor and i started out as an elementary educator and then moved my way into the tech area so we spent uh, three years in Saudi Arabia with ISG Group, 
and then three years at Shanghai, Shanghai American School. And then our last four years were at Bangkok at uh, International School of Bangkok ISB. So yeah, I did that for 10 years. And then in 2012, we decided to move back here. And uh, that was kind of our first, our first deal into real estate. And from there, we now, my wife is I guess we considered semi-retired running the real estate business, uh, when yeah. working on projects and then, uh, I'm still consulting on that end. So Fantastic. Well, I think what's important to remember, Jeff is, I mean, you're being very humble. I mean, you did some amazing stuff, your co-tail learning to, yeah. uh, I mean, there's some significant organizations and, uh, at tech spaces you created that still are very vibrant today. I know you're no more owner, but, uh, learning to still going, co-tail still going, and Adora Learning, uh, Kim's taken over, but yep. you were one of the founders. And then, of course, uh, your current uh, setup, and that's Shift Schools, which is uh, just doing amazing work. And if you have not tried one of the PDFs, you guys don't know <laughs> what you're missing. I just love them. And hats off to Trisha and you for doing that amazing work, because I think it's a, such a great resource. Yeah, well, thank you. Shifting Schools came out, you know, during the pandemic, uh, the state of Washington here reached out to us and asked if we could support educators, because, you know, the first uh, COVID-19 case was here in Seattle. And so uh, the state of Washington was one of the first to shut down here in America. And so they reached out to me and said, asked if I could help. And so by the end of it, we'd uh, supported 176 districts and over 22,000 educators in a year and a half trying to pivot to online and back to hybrid and back to full person <laughs> and all that in between. And that's where Shifting Schools came from. Uh, and so it's still going strong. I love working with Trisha Friedman, who was a longtime international educator uh, herself. Her last post was in Singapore. Uh, we've got the podcast Shifting Schools. And then, yeah, tons of free PDFs that Trisha makes, including one on Jet chat gpt you can go download yeah. that on chat gpt over there at shiftingschools.com but yeah thank you so for you know just creating businesses and just you know trying to do what i can just for our audience go to the show notes because jeff has been very kind and put everything there in the show notes so you can get the link to the pdfs shifting schools and his other work but today we're on a very different topic yeah. It is. Your you know, we had, topic. John, we had a really good chat, didn't we, about um, with the author of The Millionaire Teacher, which was, I was out That's in right. Bahrain, so it must have been yeah. in March Anthony. last year. Yeah. And yeah. we talked about um, investments and especially the all the, how a lot of teachers essentially get ripped off. You know, we talked about there's a lot of charlatans in the in investment space and a lot of schools bring investment advisors in. Um, and, and so we, and one of the things we didn't talk about is property, you know, because Jeff, I mean, the audience of this podcast, as you can tell, almost everyone is living outside of their country right. of, you know, where, where they're born or whatever. Um, and so, I mean, I'll give you my opinion, and then you can tell me what you think. I mean, we'll talk about the type, the ways of property investment. We'll get onto that. But I'd like to talk about just buying a property, buying like your, your own property first. I mean, I, I personally think it's something everyone should do, just not least because you've got a place to go back to in, in your home. Um, of course, property prices can go up and down. I think you've got to take a long-term view and, and be smart. But what's your opinion? Do you, do you think do you think most international educators should look at look at buying a property if they're starting out overseas? Yeah, I I, I think it's uh, it's a great way to diversify. I mean, I think you start with the millionaire teacher. It was a book that I read uh, and got to meet him and and when we were in Bangkok. And so we still follow. Uh, the things that he outlines in the book and you had him on the podcast. So people can go back and listen to that as well. And that was our first, that was kind of our first place, but like anything you want to be diversified. And I think, especially as an international educator, you've got so many different ways to be diversified. 
Um, and, and most of us know, you know, the pay's really good. You're kind of in charge of your own, your own uh, retirement. I mean, that was the thing that I really loved. Yep. And I think right now there's no better time than for international educators to get into real estate. I mean, I almost wish we'd have had the time that we're in now when I was back in Shanghai and Bangkok for no other reason. To your point, Dan, buy a house. It's the, 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 that property is going to go up and down, but so does the stock market. It's not any different than anything else. Yep. The difference is, is you can be making more money while that asset is going up and down. Right. And yep. this is the thing, especially for international educators, Airbnb is going to be your friend. You know, when I lived overseas, there was no Airbnb. We bought our condo, our first condo down here in downtown Seattle. And we were overseas working at ISB Bangkok. And it was just sitting empty because Airbnb didn't exist. And I just yep. think about what did we miss out on this opportunity that when we were overseas, we could have been renting it out. Yep. We could have been renting it out and making money and it would have helped pay for itself. So not yep. only do you own an asset that over time, like all property over time, it's going to go up. You're going to have some bumps right now. We're kind of, depending on where you buy, you could see a drop. It could be a good time to buy depending where you want to buy. Um, but over time it's going to go up. Right. Yeah. But in between that, you could be making money on Airbnb. And yep. so I think there's no better time, especially as an, as a international educator, because you just book it out for yourself. You're like, Hey, we're going home from June to August. You yep. just book out your own place. You get to stay in this place that you love or you want to be. And I know a lot of international educators, you know, they buy a place on a lake somewhere. You can Airbnb that sucker. You yeah. Know, you buy it, like we had a condo in a downtown Seattle. You could Airbnb that, you know, for the other part of the year. Um, it's great. I mean, because we, so we have a, my wife and I, we have a small number of flats in Prague, but we actually have an Airbnb. Well, we bought it together with, with another couple of some good friends of ours. Um, and it's a ski, a ski apartment in Austria. And, um, you know, yeah. I used to work in a ski school there and it's, it's amazing. And and what's great now, which, which I guess you can talk about is, you know, there's, there's so many management services now, whereas before, yep. like even when Airbnb first came out, you would have had to be physically present, but we have, we have this apartment in Austria, we have a maintenance person. We have someone who does the cleaning and the handovers and everything. You know, there, there's issues to solve, but rarely an issue we need to get on a plane and go down there. I mean, actually never. In, in the five or six years we've been doing it, we've never had to go down there urgently to, to rent it, you know? So I, I think, uh, do you want to talk about that? Like, Because Airbnb, I mean, we'll talk about the other options, but that that is a great option for it an international educator because if they buy a residence where they come from, they can go and stay there. They can book it out at the time, yeah. you know? But how does it work? For, how does it work like logistically for a, for a, you know someone working overseas? Yeah, so I mean, it, what we call that is we call that long distance real estate investing, uh, and it's yeah. what my wife and I do. We live in Seattle, but all of our investments properties are over in Spokane. Uh, right now, we have 18 properties, 18 doors. Uh, so I say doors because we actually have nine properties, but we have a fourplex, we have a bunch of duplexes, we have a couple single right. families, and so we have 18 doors. Um, but we do, it's called long, it's called, um, you know, uh, long distance real estate investing. And David Green has a really good book. We can put that in the show notes. I'll go back and put that in. But David Green has a book called long distance real estate investing. And what you're talking about, Dan, is we taking advantage of the time we live in. <laughs> it's yeah. so easy. You know, you have an Airbnb. The average right now is you pay an Airbnb host 20% of the deal. And they basically take care of it. They do all the cleaning. They do all the bookings. They manage Airbnb. And my 
bank account is connected to them. And every time somebody books something, I get the profit off the top. <laughs> it's yeah. just, it, it makes it so easy to do. And same thing with all of our other long-term investments. The other 18 doors we have are all long, you know, long-term rentals. But we don't live there. We have a property manager that oversees them. We And that property manager has a maintenance person on staff that will go out and fix it. We've signed a contract with our property manager that anything under $500, they don't even have to check with us, Yeah, which is most things. Like $500 will, you know, that'll replace a dishwasher. Uh, so you have to get above something that is, you know, really, that really needs to be replaced um, sure. before that happens. So, um you know, it's a great way. And there's so many ways to make it. I mean, to make money in real estate. And I think the thing that's really great about real estate that you don't get in the stock market, right, is in the stock market, you buy an, you buy an asset and then you wait for 30 years for that thing to appreciate. And the goal is, is it's going to go up and down. But over time, you're, that is going to be around seven to eight percent. Right. That That's that's the you know international millennial or millionaire teacher is like over time, you want to get somewhere around seven or eight percent which is the same thing I can do with a piece of property. The difference is my piece of property is going up roughly three to 4% a year on average. And at the same time, I'm making somewhere between, depending on the property, $400 to $1,000 a month in cash flow. Yeah. So I'm getting paid and, and the, the, to the own an asset well. that's also going up in price. So you play it, both ends of it. That's amazing. And, and the other thing about property is it, it's an easy way to get leverage. I mean, you know, you can get a mortgage quite easily as a well-established mortgage market. You know, you, you, you can, and you probably would be very unwise to go and get a, a loan to go and buy, buy stock. You know, you could trade on margin, but it's getting into risky territory. You know? right. Property is, you know, the, 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 the way you buy property is you put it down, you know, 10, 20, whatever, 30% yeah. of the value. And, and, and then you borrow the rest of that, you know, from the bank. Yeah. And it, and it depends on how you want to do it. And again, this is where we can, how far you want to get into the weeds. Cause I'll geek out. Yeah, let's get into the weeds. Let's get into the weeds. I just want to say something. Can I just interrupt? Yeah. I think it's yeah. important to our audience. It's international that we're talking about us Washington state in many different countries. There are different dynamics and different sure. interest rates and mortgages and taxes. So I, I, I can talk a bit about, thing, I, I just want to say that, you know, different people in different countries do your homework. I think what Jeff yeah. is saying is really resonates, but please do your homework with taxes, property management. There are all kinds of different things because I own a property in Switzerland and definitely there were some very different things I had to navigate and sure. some much higher front end costs than I had anticipated. This was 25 years ago. But I just think people do your homework, go and talk to somebody. I think that's just really important because I think what Jeff is uh, sharing is so important, but also have the lens of let's take that information. What's the context that I'm in? Yeah, it's true. Uh, it's so uh, and I can important. I can talk about the UK as well because I've got a mortgage as I've got an expat more in the past. I've had an expat mortgage for a UK property, so I think. You know, I think whatever Jeff will talk about for the U U.S., I think most Western Western European countries have something similar. I think if you're from somewhere else in the world, like you said, John, it's 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 you know you've got to do your homework. Well, you've got to do your homework in, in any country. I mean, America yeah, has definitely absolutely. got the least friction of any of any country. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's different ways. And and even if you're one of the nice things, you know, about the U.S. is. I think pretty much everybody and anybody can invest here. If you've got money, we'll, we'll take yeah. it in one way or another. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. You know, um, I mean, my wife and I are heavily involved in our properties, but we love it. It's my wife's uh, passion. 
Uh, and so we're heavily involved in our properties, but you don't have to be. And I think that's one of the things for people to know is you can get into, you can actually invest in say a large apartment complex, right? So I just, uh, I have another podcast that I do that's all about real estate, but I just interviewed a, a woman who she basically gathers money. So anybody can go to her and say, Hey, I've got a hundred thousand dollars. I'd like to invest. She takes a hundred thousand dollars from 10 people. She now has a million bucks and you go and build a 120 unit apartment complex. And everybody's probably seen these large apartment complexes. It's actually owned by 10 different people. Yeah. Now you don't have to do anything, but what you're going to do is you're going to see eight to 10% return on your money. And that's eight to, to eight to 10% a year, right? on your money. And at the end of five or six years, you get all of your money back. So think about that. I'm going to invest $100,000. Five years from now, yeah. I get $100,000 back. And every year I made eight to 10% on that money. And then I can just take the $100,000 and reinvest it again or go do whatever I want. And so there's ways that you can, you can do that. Um, if you are into the stock market, there are REITs are coming really popular, which is basically the same thing. Only you do it through the stock market where yeah. you invest in a REIT, which is a real estate uh, trust. And then these trusts are building multi, you know, 700 unit apartment buildings uh, and you have a piece of that. And so it works a, a little bit better. I mean, if you do the smaller kind of the smaller, you know, scale stuff, uh, your returns are a little bit better, but it, you can do it completely hands off. You know, yep. one of the biggest fears is people are, are thinking, you know, well, I need to, you know, be able to fix toilets and stuff. And you don't, not in today's world. You just, I mean, yeah. you, you can set that stuff up. And John, to your point about Airbnbs, I think one of the things like my wife and I are looking at, we've always dreamed, like when we were overseas internationally, we always dreamed of owning a villa in Italy. And now with the ability to Airbnb it, we're looking at buying a villa in Italy that we want to go and stay at. And the rest of the time, whoever we rent it out to is paying the mortgage, right? Yeah. And you can yeah. do that. Yeah. I mean, Airbnb is international, so it just makes it really great. Again, know the rules, know what the tax litigation is. I mean, you got to do your homework, but there are ways to get in and, and make some money out of it. Yeah. And I think the thing that's interesting for international school teachers, often the distance and being in a country far away, there's a sense that you can't do that because exactly. structures and, and organizations or even workflows are more complicated. But I think yeah. what you're amplifying is that you can get property management there. It's far better set up maybe than 20, 30 years yeah, ago. 100%. And especially in the US property management companies are used to working with people long distance. Yep. You can do everything through virtual uh, interfaces. So I think there's much more uh, capacity and also maybe diminishes that idea of stress or like, oh, I'm too far away to be able to do that. Exactly, exactly. Let's talk logistics of buying a property because let's imagine someone like I was, you're working overseas, you want to buy a property in your home country. Obviously, the first thing is, well, finding a property and, and getting a mortgage. Now, Jeff, I'm really keen to hear about the U US. In the UK, if you just Google ex UK expat mortgages, there's loads of banks offer expat mortgages. Now, the difference between an expat mortgage and a regular mortgage in the UK is two things. One is they typically want a large deposit, they, you know, whereas you might get away with even 5 or 10%. With a regular mortgage, if, you, if you're a resident in the UK, you would need 20 or 20% or more if you're overseas. And the second thing is interest rate is often a bit higher, up, up to 1% higher. Now, is that is that similar to the US in terms of how you get mortgages? It, it can be because for, I mean, this happened to us is because you get different interest rates and different down payment terms based on whether it's your primary home or a secondary home. Yeah. 
And so even for us, you know, one of the things that we kick ourselves is we never, we were never able to take advantage of our primary home, which we've got friends that just bought their first house. They only had to put five, 3% down and they've got an interest rate of 2.5%. Like they're just, we're, we're so frustrated when we lived overseas, the bank saw it as, well, your primary residence in Bangkok. So this is a secondary home. So our interest rate was about a point and a half higher at the time. I think we were right around 6.25%, which is about what they are here today. And we had to put the full 20% down. Yeah. Um, Now that is just to get the property under contract. Once you actually have it under contract and you've actually purchased it, then there's all sorts of things you can do. You can shop around to other banks. You can re, you can refi that out. You know, it's, so it's one thing to buy the property. It's another thing then to, once you have that prop, once you own the property, then there are a lot of things that open up for you. And you have a lot of times different ways that you can then adjust uh, and think differently about that property. Um, and that, that's Got what it. we did. We were in it for six point or the first condo that we bought, you know, we were 6.25% interest rate. And by 2012, when we moved home, it was down to 4%. Um, and meanwhile, Seattle took off. And so yep. we sold that condo for almost three times what we paid for it in just over five years. Um, but we also did a full rehab, which is what we do with our properties. And that's how we add right. value. So when you're looking at properties, there's basically two ways to look at it. You either want to buy something called turnkey, which means you don't want to do anything to it. And if you don't want to do anything to that property and you just want to buy a turnkey property and somebody hands you the keys and you start renting it out on Airbnb or a long-term rental, you get with your, um, you know, you get with your a more, um, sorry, management company and, and make that determination. You can do that. The other thing you can do, and the thing I love about real estate is you can force appreciation. You buy a, you buy the ugliest house on the nicest block and you fix it up. And now it's the nicest block, uh, nicest house on the nicest block. And you have just pushed that, uh, you know, appreciation. And then you can take that money back out and do the next thing. I mean, I can get into that if you really want to, but it's pretty incredible how, I mean, my wife and I have used the same $350,000 seven times to buy all of our properties, the same money. We just buy the property, fix it up, take a mortgage out on it, take that money buy the next property. So that, that $350,000 has now got us, I think five with that same money, I think we've got five or six properties. So you're talking like 12 doors, right? Wow. It's amazing what just that money, if you want to, right? There's ways that you can, you can do there's, that. Isn't there, there's an acronym for that. It's a load of letters together. Yeah, Burr, yeah, B R R, yes, right. Yeah, yeah. B R R. Buy. And what does that what does that stand for? Buy, rehab, refinance, repeat. Right. So. See, now that's interesting because that's something I don't, John. You can probably talk about the countries you lived in, and that sort of thing is. De- I mean, I don't even know if that's available here. You know, if you can do get away, you maybe you can get away with that here, but you know, it, I, I need to look into it more. I'm not sure if you can do that kind of thing. I here. think in Europe you'd be a little more. It might be a little more complicated depending yeah. on yeah. the countries. The other well, thing, like just I said, in, in Italy we we're looking at doing it. So I mean, because there are some oh, really? run down thing. old chateaus that I'm just like. You're going to sell me that chateau for a hundred thousand dollars and I'm going to go in and make it beautiful and Airbnb it. And I can show yeah, you, yeah. you know, once it's making yeah. money, then you can go to bank and say, look, I'm making this much money. I can cover all my costs of my mortgage and it's going to be kicking me 400 bucks a month. And anytime I want to go to Italy and go taste some beautiful wine, I get to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, I think different countries. I know when we bought, uh, we had to put 40% down. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, uh, and so this, yeah, you know, definitely. not being your primary residence. The other thing that's happened, and I know for many international school teachers, they've bought in Bulgaria or Nicaragua or mm. Costa Rica or places yeah. that initially look a very low entry point. I right. mean, the cost and the size you get. But you have to remember that if you're in Nicaragua, the political stability is very different. And, and so I know I've heard of a couple unfortunate stories where people bought in developments in Bulgaria and then things didn't go that well. So I think, you know, I, I think there's certain geographic locations that lend themselves much better. You want to have some strong laws, security, banking security, those kind of things. Yeah. And also being able to navigate the language or have somebody that can help you navigate the language, especially if you're working in a foreign language, that can become quite complicated. Yeah. On the Airbnb side, there's a great website called AirDNA. Uh, and for free, airdna.com, you can go in and you can put an address in anywhere in the world. You put the address in and then it, it you know, runs its little algorithms and tells you how much, like what percentage of the time it should be rented out. How much do you, do you believe? And then you can put in like, this is how much the water is and the internet is, and this is what my mortgage payment is. And you can like just fill out the form and it'll kind of give you a pretty close idea. And it's, it's done pretty well for us. With Airbnb properties, what you're trying to do is you're trying to see if you can break even around 50% occupancy. That's the average right now for an Airbnb. Uh, 50% occupancy. 50%. So you want to be able to say, okay, well, I'm buying this place in wherever in the world. I go to AirDNA. AirDNA says, you know, you can rent this thing on average for $130 a night or, you know, 89 pounds a night or whatever the currency is. Then you can start running your numbers, right? Um, you start running your numbers from that and say, okay, well, if I rent it out 50% of the time, anything over 50% is, you know, money in my pocket. But if I rent it out 50% of the time, the property can pretty much pays for itself. Um, and now you just got a free asset that's, you know, constantly going up in value as long as you're political, you know, you do your homework, but. Uh, Jeff, would you yeah. say that your properties are generally are rent being rented more than 50%? We have just started our first Airbnb. So all everything oh, else okay. is long-term. We have one Airbnb now because we took one of our long-term rentals and turned it into an Airbnb. And it's it's nuts. We're running right about 50%. And it's just a different way to look at it. We were in, and again, we just got started. So in October and November, I think we, it was booked all but two days. January, it was only booked two days. <laughs> and so it's not a steady stream of every month yeah. is the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, the only time in December it was booked was right around uh, Christmas. And it's not, it's a, it's a unit in a fourplex. It's no, we're not talking on a lake. We're not, I mean, it's a, it's a working person's really what it is, is it's a working person's who's coming in, they fly in, they're doing work with some company. They want a place to stay and they don't want to stay in a hotel. Uh, oh, nice. So they, they book our Airbnb and then, then they're out again. So where people are coming in for three or four, you know, three or four nights at a time. And it's over in Spokane where all of our rental properties are. And so when we need to go over and rehab one of our properties, then we just book it out for ourselves. And now we've got a free place to stay. That's really nice. Um, and then we leave and the clean cleaners come in, they clean it and it's ready to go again. So uh, it, it works think- out well. Then the thing about Airbnb is it gives you options, doesn't it? Because for example, we've got like like I say, we've got some rental properties in Prague, a small number of flats, and we're just renting them out long term, yeah. you know, because we're traveling and doing different things. But like, let's say we had to make money, we wanted to make money. 
Like we could switch them to Airbnb. We could run it ourselves. We could do the cleaning. We could do the checking. Yeah. We could not pay anybody anything. If we just needed to make money, like yeah. we, we have a we have a potential income stream we we could do ourselves. You know now, which, which you know that you've always got that option as long as it's obviously use websites like AirDNA. See if you're in an area that has has um you know demand. But I mean Prague, there's a lot of demand. You know for sure. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it's, it, that's fascinating. What yeah. um. Have you seen John? It's interesting the pitfalls you mentioned about people buying in these areas. I mean, I, I would advise in my limit, even in my limited experiences, to buy an area you, you know very well or an area you know you, you potentially want to live in. But do you, John, do you think these people were buying just just they, they figured it was a good a good rental yield? They were just looking at it purely as an investment, or do you think they were thinking they'd go and live there sometime? Well, I think you know, sitting on a beach along the uh, Pacific coast in Nicaragua sounds yep. really nice, and if you can get into a house. <laughs> For mm. under a hundred thousand, and it's got four bedrooms with a swimming pool. Yeah, I think that gets very tempting. It's also Portugal right now is the huge rage, right? Yeah, uh, you can go to some isolated villages in Portugal, far away from the beach, in the middle yeah. of nowhere, and you can get yourself a fixer upper for fifty thousand. The question is then, are you going to spend your holidays there? And and you know, there are all these different things. I think you have it doing your homework, and obviously Jeff has done a wonderful job of explaining how much you know you have to do your research you yeah. have to really think about and think about yourself if you're going to have a place and it's going to be an airbnb do you want to stay there is it somewhere you're going to want to stay yeah uh you know i think they're just i, I think it's it's so tempting and i think you know jeff thank you for breaking it down because it really i mean it really gives us a clear idea i just think that so often people maybe just hear the surface story and a group of them say, oh, let's go and get this apartment together. And then they fall out or it's in, in a geographic area. So I, I, I just think that there is so much positive to going down this road. But also, I think it's where you have to be a real adult and do all your homework. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's, you know, if you have a good, and I mean, when you're talking about, you know, long distance real estate investing, and again, I'll put the link uh, in the show notes to David Green's book, who he wrote the book on it, but he calls it, you know, this idea that if you're going to do long state real estate investing, and I think this goes for anywhere in the world, you need to have your core four set up. And the core four is first thing, have a real estate agent, because, you know, even overseas, if I'm going to be buying in Prague, I, I don't know all of the little neighborhoods in Prague and some neighborhoods in Prague are going to be better than other neighborhoods yep. in Prague. And so having a real estate agent who understands that uh, is key. So that's, that's person number one. Uh, person number two is your management property, especially if you're long distance, you know, do get on a zoom call with an interview, a couple management properties, look at the way that they keep track of money and, and what do they do? Are they full service that they have a repair person on staff, uh, a cleaning person on staff? Um, and so you get a property management person, you can go, you know, usually with, if you're looking at long-term rentals, it's usually 10% of the rent. If you're looking at short-term rentals like Airbnb or VRBO, it's somewhere between 20 and 30% of, uh, the rent goes to them, but they're doing, I mean, for 30%, you're literally not even cleaning the sheets. Like they're, you know, they're cleaning it after every, uh, after every guest and everything. Um, I, I'd add two more people that, um, yeah. to that list. That, it, based on my experience in, in Prague, um, one is um, two people to build a relationship. One is a mortgage broker. We've got a really good mortgage broker. I've worked over the years. He does insurance as well. But, you know, he's managed to get me deals that I, I couldn't have got myself, yep. you know. And, and, and you've got to be careful because, you know, financial advisors, we, we talked about that in a previous podcast, you know, 
caveat emptor and everything. But 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 I think if you if you get a good relationship with that, then he he has definitely helped me like hundred percent. Like so many mortgages we've got. And then the second one is, is a lawyer, you know, especially here in a country of complex laws like here. Um, someone, you know, you've, you know, if you work with somebody a few times, then they're going to always going to take your call. You know, they know yeah. you're always going to pay them and everything. And I don't know. What do you think, Jeff? Did yeah. you agree with those two things plus yes. anybody else? I think, um, and uh, you know, to get started with your mortgage broker, I know uh, many of my international teacher friends still have a bank account back in yeah. the, their home country that they might be thinking about investing in and just go through your bank. It's a great place to start and get and tell them you're looking for investment properties because there are different mortgage brokers to your point Dan, there are different mortgage brokers that focus on different things and you want yeah. a mortgage broker who understands real uh investment right real estate investment investing yeah. and they'll get you there are different deals out there uh for investors than there are for if you for your primary home <laughs> that you can take advantage of it as well and yeah a lawyer is always a great idea <laughs> you know yeah. no matter where you're at and but again don't go get the lawyer that you know helps you set up your will that's a that that lawyer doesn't have the, the you know what you need. Uh, go get a, a lawyer that actually does real estate. Uh, and there's there are lawyers out there that just focus on real estate. <laughs> they know the real estate laws. They can help you navigate some of the things that might be going on in that city. And again, yeah. once you have this team, right? This is your core four. Once you have that core four team, then you can start even having a conversation with all four of them. You get all of them on the on the zoom call and say, this is a property we or we're looking for a property that's here. What do we need to be considering? What are things we need to be looking for? Um, and they can support you with that. I mean, we just had some friends who live here in Seattle and they just bought an Airbnb. They're both from Minnesota. Um, and they just did the whole thing over the internet because they could you to walk through the house with the, you know, with the real estate agent on your phone, taking a virtual tour uh, and they're Airbnb in it. And then their families are there. So when they go and visit their families, they all go up to the lake cabin and it sits there yeah. on the lake. Meanwhile, it's being Airbnb the rest of the time and it's appreciating. So, you know, you, um, so there's ways to do it. It's not, you, you know, just take advantage of the technology world we live in today. I you know, we talk about this that, on this yeah. podcast all the time yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's just, it's, it's, it's not what it was 20 or 30 years ago. You know, it, it's, you just got to get the people in the right place. And I think with that technology tools, there's a much higher level of trust yeah. uh, in using them and understanding, you know, before there was something about the handshake being in the room and signing right, the yeah. paper. And I think nowadays it's the way of the world and there is people know that's the way you work and, and it's, it's far more standardized and far more normal and I think that also alleviates that feeling of, you know, the distance and the virtual, I think, with all the tools that we have. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. You hear people, you know, they buy a house and they've never stepped in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, I over on my podcast, just to give somebody, just to give people kind of an example, um, I shared uh, like the Washington State Real Estate Investing Podcast. I share stories about what my wife and I are going through all the time. But I shared the story of just because it was the end of the year, looking at a couple of our properties. And we had a property that we bought for uh, $279,000. Uh, it was zoned. And again, we did our research. We, it was zoned in a way that we could turn it into a duplex. And so we finished the basement out. So the main floor was a two bedroom, one bath. And then we built, uh, we blocked off a wall. And so there was also one in the basement and we put a two bedroom, one bath in the basement. That cost $100,000. So now we're into it for like 360, 365, uh, I think, or something was the final price. 
And again, we had, you know, we did all that with cash, bought it with cash, did all that. And then we went to a bank, we rented it out and we're getting almost $2,000 for each unit. So we're getting like $4,000 a month uh, in rental income. Then we then go to a bank, we get a loan on that property and they come out and they, you know, walk around the house and they say, well, actually this house is worth $450,000. You have to put 20% down. They give us our $375,000 back. So we have $0 in this property. We own a property and we have $0 in it. Think about that. Interesting. Right. And after we pay the mortgage, after we pay the water, sewer, garbage bill and everything else, we're cash flowing about $800 a month or what is that? $9,600 a year in our pocket that we get to live off of. And over the last three years, it's appreciated almost 10%. So now if we sold it today, we'd sell it for 500 and like just over $500,000. Like you just think about, it's just, you can do this with properties. And this that's is what I'm going to look into this burr thing. Definitely. Yeah. It's something uh, I've vaguely heard about <laughs> okay. it. But now England, be careful. Dan's coming. <laughs> He's going to burr through England, through your burr for Prague, <laughs> England. Know, Interesting, Dan, when I was in the UK, it must have been in October, November, there was all the uh, interest rates going up, you remember, mm. and all that. And there was a lot of panic for a lot of homeowners. And, and I just wondering, you know, Jeff, how has that, because you've been doing this now for three, four years, is that correct or longer? Yeah, so we started investing in 2000, like big time investing in 2018. And uh, have you know? Have you noticed fluctuations? How have you kind of mitigated that, or that's something that you calculate? Is that you know the risk factor? Yeah, we we calculate in the risk factor. I mean, we we you know you can't time the real estate market. I think that's the number one thing for people to understand. If you've got the money and this is something you want to do, I'm happy to help people and support people. I geek out on this stuff. I've got spreadsheets, John. You. Next time we're together, I'll show you like they're impressive spreadsheets. Like I love my <laughs> spreadsheets. I put in numbers and it comes out I either green wait. or red at the I end, whether wait. or not you can buy the property. Um, <laughs> but you know, we, you run your numbers and the numbers are what the numbers are, but real estate, it's, it's never a bad time to get into real estate. Things happen, yep. you know, interest rates are going up, but prices of homes are coming down. And so you have this, you know, you're trying to find that that sweet spot of, of where do the numbers work? And it's all about playing the numbers and knowing what you can rent it for. I mean, our goal when we started, and this is, again, it's a long-term game, just like investing in the stock market. It's a long-term game. When we started, our goal was, is that we wanted to have a property pay for itself and put $200 in our pocket. So all our bills paid, mortgage, everything paid and put $200 in our pocket, which is great. The problem is rent continues to go up. And so as rent goes up, that $200 turns into $250 in your pocket. And then it turns into $300 in your pocket. Like you just slowly, because rent rent rates go up and somebody moves out, somebody moves in, you raise the rent 150 bucks because that's what it is in, in, in that area. Um, and so that's that's the interesting thing. When, when we see it and here, we'll talk in the US, if we go into a recession, uh, which everybody says we're going to go into, which I, that's a whole different conversation. But if we go into a recession, rent rates actually go up. <laughs> and so- as a renter, you go up and then we're in a housing shortage. Well, there's not enough houses, rent rates go up. So it's just this, yeah. it's an, it's an interesting game. So, um, that you, play. you, but you, you just think you about real run estate. your numbers. You just run your numbers. The way I, you know, the other thing about real estate I like is let's say you've got a, 
a classic like repayment mortgage like I have, like even if even if you're not cash flowing anything, like the money you're paying off your mortgage is, is kind of like a forced savings account. Yes. I, I just view that like I, I'm not looking my, my properties are long term, you know, it's retirement yeah. income, how I'm thinking about it. But you know, that's you're paying off a mortgage, that's basically yep. a forced savings account every month. Yep. You know, well, that's the interest part of it, obviously that's money you're losing, but the capital part of it, that, that you know, that's a great way to look at it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your asset is appreciating on the other end. So it's this forced yeah. savings account. I like that analogy. And usually somewhere around three or 4% a year, usually depending on where you buy, but just figure 3% a year. It's not like, you know, I think millionaire teacher, his goal is like 7.5 to 8% a year. And it's a little bit slower, but again, right. You're paying down the mortgage and your property is gaining in value. And whenever you're ready, you can then, you know, sell the property, take that money and decide, you know, put it, put it into the stock market or live off it or go buy, you know, uh, your next property, whatever you want to do with it. So, um, it's a good way to think about it. Fantastic. Guys, I'm going to have to end it at this point. Unfortunately, I've got to go and um, see the family. And Jeff, that was really interesting. Um, thank you so much for coming. Um, John, any, any final comments or anything, John? Uh, no, not at all. But I, I'm going to send Jeff this article by The Economist. They did a huge thing about uh, owner occupation is not always a better deal than renting. And they did this huge meta study. And basically at the end, it's equal renting yeah. or buying, which was really interesting. I think it's very different because they're not thinking about the investment and Airbnbs, yeah. but it's just, no, I want to thank Jeff uh, for sharing that and definitely go to the show notes. Cause I know Jeff will be very generous and putting various links that you're going to want to uh, really explore and unpack. And uh, definitely Jeff has a podcast on this. So you might want to be listening. And if you're thinking of buying a property, well, uh, good luck. Yeah. Enjoy. Yeah. And reach out. I'm always happy to have conversations with people I geek out on. This is my second geek out. When I'm done talking about chat GPT all day, then I go talk about properties. All day. <laughs> Maybe one day chat GPT will buy our properties. Well, there you go. Know. Probably. <laughs> I probably should ask it. Is this a good property to buy? It'll probably yeah, tell that's me a good point. Run the numbers faster than I can. Lovely seeing everybody. Take care. Jeff, John, thank you very much. Thank both.